Wasn't that yummy and juicy? <laughs> what kind of thoughts were going through your head when you heard this one? Sheesh, what's he going to do with that? <laughs> yes, the snakes. You can hear Kristen hissing back here. <laughs> and actually, Kristen, you have a tattoo, I understand, right there. there it's a tattoo is. of a snake. Of a snake. Your one tattoo. Yes. All right, well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that sermon for another time. <laughs> and Kristen actually has a very wonderful explanation about that, and you can talk to her personally because I may mess it up trying to get it out. And uh, but if you ever preach this scripture, I know you'll give us That's a close-up right. of, of the tattoo that you have there. And actually, my reaction when I saw this scripture was to say, I cannot believe this is in the lectionary. I've never preached this passage before, and I think I'll save it for three years later when it comes up again in the lectionary. But I began to look at it more deeply. And as I looked at this scripture, I felt that it was something we needed to talk about today. It's one of those scriptures that actually lends itself to many, many messages. And, and I try to respect your time by only doing one message a Sunday, so I'll just do one of the messages that came to me. And it's the whole way that fear plays throughout this scripture. If you look at this scripture now and you read it, you'll see that, that there's many ways that fear is revealed in this scripture. And there's many ways that, that fear interplays in these words. And kind of as you read it, kind of see what some of the things you see as, as fear, how fear is working itself out in the scripture. And I really want to look at, at three different ways that, that fear reveals itself in this scripture. Three types of fear. Two types of fear that debilitate us and in fact suck the life out of us. And then one type of fear that's actually life-giving. First of all, when it comes to fear, Harris recently did a survey and they identified the number one fear among adults. And they identified that number one fear as the fear of public speaking. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why we don't ask our first timers to stand up and introduce themselves. It's like, welcome to church. Woo! Boo! You know, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we want them to come back. I actually didn't plan that move I just made. I have no idea what was happening there, so. <laughs> That's why they only give me a little bit of time on Sundays. You never know what if I had more time. It's dangerous. <laughs> but the number one fear for adults is the fear of public speaking. Now, the number two fear of adults is the same fear that the people of Israel experienced in today's scripture. 36% of adults have a fear of snakes. Hmm. <laughs> I hear the groans. 36% <laughs> of adults have a fear of snakes. And in this scripture, that fear is described in this way. Then God sent venomous snakes among the people, and they fatally bit many of the people. All right, the first type of fear that this scripture describes is what I would call sheer terror. It's that sudden fear. It's that unexpected fear. It's that fear that hits you when you think you're just sailing along and having a great time and something suddenly goes out of nowhere. It's not just the fear of snakes. It's that fear that happens when the phone rings and you think it's just going to be one of those light, easy calls. And instead, it's 
a fear that changes your life forever. It's a call that changes your life forever. And you can't believe what's being shared on the other end of the line. And you feel that the wind is just knocked out of you all of a sudden. It's that fear you might feel when you go to check your bank accounts. And you suddenly realize that you've made major purchases at Home Depot. But they've been doubled somehow. You've been charged twice for the same purchase. And how are you going to work your way through this one? It's that fear that comes at that moment. The fear you're not expecting. Just a few Sundays ago on March 1st at 4.30 in the morning, I thought I was having a bad dream. Actually, the neighbor's house was on fire. And it was one of those momentary occurrences where you just wonder what's going to happen. Is it, is it their house? Is it my house? What's going on here? And, and that fear lingered throughout the day, but it was a, began with this sudden terror, this sudden fear. It's that fear you might have when you're flying on a plane and they've just served you your beverage and then suddenly... You hit a wind pocket and you wonder how far you're going to fall. It happens at a moment. It is that fear which is terror. A fear that the people of Israel were experiencing, but it was also a fear that a spiritual writer by the name of David Rensberger experienced. He was one who felt pretty good about his spiritual life. Things were sailing along okay. He was feeling the presence of God. Here's how he describes how things were going. He writes, it was my spiritual practice to spend regular time each day in silent prayer, sitting quietly in God's presence and trying to simply open myself to God's voice and will. At times that presence seemed to overwhelm me with bliss and with joy and with love. That presence seemed like a validation of a long felt sense of calling to contemplative prayer. And it was an affirmation of who it was that God had created me to be. His life was going along just great, soaking in the presence of God. And then he continues here. Then came Sharon's diagnosis. So what was I to do with the news that my wife of 33 years had cancer? I was now frightened and worried and the fear and anxiety at times threatened to take over my soul. All that blissful sense of divine presence, it now seemed far away. A wise saying tells us that worry is interest paid on trouble before the principle falls due. Well, that's fine. But when there's a predatory lender banging at your door, worry just can't be banished by means of willpower. At any rate, I can't do it. The line here that struck me is where he says, fear and anxiety at times threatened to take over my soul. He was just zipping along, feeling so spiritual and joyful and blissful. Wonderful moments of prayer. And then came the phone call. Like that snake that had been coiled up and finally struck. And at that moment, all this stuff about divine presence and bliss and joy, it was gone just like that. Terror, sudden fear has that kind of impact. It has this ability to overtake our senses. And it was a fear that was very real to the people of Israel. We then see the next level of fear at play in this scripture. 
we'll just let that snake kind of stay coiled up there for a while. We'll look at this other type of fear. The second type of fear is, is what I would call, rather than the sudden fear, I'd call it the persistent fear. The chronic fear. The, the fear that in a way kind of hangs around in the background. And scripture describes this background fear this way. The Israelites traveled from Mount Or along the road to the Sea of Reeds in order to avoid Edom. Yet the people grew impatient along the way and they addressed their concerns to God and Moses. They complained, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? We have no bread, we have no water, and we are disgusted with this terrible food. Now this may not at first appear to really reveal that much fear, but look at what's happening here. In that very first line, the Israelites travel from Mount Or along the road of the Sea of Reeds in order to avoid Edom. They didn't necessarily name it as fear, but fear was at work here in a persistent and subtle and sneaky way. Fear was at work in a way that it changed their direction. It determined their path. They were afraid of Edom, so they crossed to the other side of the street. They were afraid of the unknown. They were afraid of the unpredictable. They told themselves a story about what was in Edom, and they walked across another entire route, went out of their way, inconvenienced themselves in order to avoid their fear. And fear for that moment determined their life direction. We can go a while on this one. There, there's that fear that hangs around in the background that keeps us from challenging ourselves or stretching ourselves. That fear that keeps us from reaching out to that person we'd like to meet. That fear that keeps us from going on for that second degree. That fear that keeps us from taking a risk that may in fact enliven our lives in amazing and powerful ways. That fear that keeps us from serving. That fear that keeps us from being. That fear that keeps us from growing. That subtle fear that's just hanging around back there, coiled up in the grass. At first, you may not see it, but if you look closer, you'll see that fear is there. It may not look as dangerous, but it's just as dangerous. Look close, and you'll see it peeking out at work, at play still controlling. This kind of fear puts us in a bad mood. And we might not even know why we're in a bad mood. And that's what's happening right here in this scripture. The people grew impatient along the way. And they addressed their concerns to God and Moses. This is the kind of fear that's constantly asking why. Why? Why did you put me here? What am I doing serving on this committee? What am I doing looking at this computer? We have no bread. We have no water. And this food, it just sucks. Come on, God, you can do better than that. This is the kind of fear that sneaks in when we forget who we are and we forget who God is and we forget where we've been. I mean, the attitude of the Israelites has really gotten out of hand here. 
And yet, if they would just do a little inventory of their recent history, they would see that they had every reason to praise and no reason to complain. Just in the verses preceding this scripture, read them this afternoon, you'll see that the people of Israel prayed for God to give them victory over the Canaanites, and they had victory over the Canaanites. I mean, they have gone from victory to complaining in 60 seconds. And really, it's fear. It's that persistent fear that's worked. They have forgotten that their God is the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They have forgotten that their God is a God who offers them the promise of the promised land. The same God that opened the way for them. I mean, God opened the Red Sea. And yet they're afraid of the path and the journey. It is that persistent fear. And it shows itself in so many ways, doesn't it, Janice? and ultimately of non-meaning. The fear of simply not mattering to anyone, of having no significance, of being unlovable, is one of the primary fears. It lies at the root of much of the violence which brutalizes social and international life. If meaning is thought to reside in having, there will be violence on the part of those that have-nots who try to take and the owners who try to defend their possessions. The same fear of worthlessness and unmeaning in oneself gives rise to ambition and competitiveness in personal relationships. And so the petty violence we practice on others as well as ourselves. Hmm. If we just do an inventory, sometimes we'll see how devious fear can be in our lives. One little experiment would be to come to the end of the day and go back over all the interactions and to think about how many of those were driven by fear in some way. The fear of somebody's opinion. The fear of being wrong. The fear of being wrong leads to lots of arguments, by the way. Fear has this ability to shut us down, to shut down the relationships around us. So you've seen two of the dynamics of fear, the sudden fear and the persistent fear. Now there is a third fear, which is a life-giving fear. And I describe that as holy fear. Now, the people of Israel, all these snakes everywhere, biting them, you would think that their greatest hope would be that God would simply send all those snakes away. That God would make where they were a snake-free zone. But instead, what happens here is that in answer to their prayer, God invites Moses to actually create a snake and put it right there in the middle of them all. Rather than driving the snake away, God made the snake even more visible and more present. And then said, look at it. What's happening here is that God didn't free them of their fear. In fact, God took that fear and put it front and center. With the idea being, that's the only way to get through it. It's to face it. That's where life is. Life is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. So fear becomes a holy fear when it turns us to the holy. 
Fear becomes a holy fear when it invites us to embrace life. God didn't promise to take the fear away, but God promised to be with us in the fear and to go with us in the fear. And then who knows what's possible? Suddenly, you're doing what you never thought you could do. You're facing that fear of public speaking. (laughs) Or you're facing that fear of jumping out of a plane. And uh, yeah, that's Janice and Leslie that you see right there jumping out of the plane. It was preparing them for parenthood, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But holy fear is that fear that invites us to say, yes! Now I'm going to live. Now I'm going to walk. Now I'm going to pass right through Edom, even though it scares me to death. And I'll be ready for whatever meets me there. I'm going to go ahead and do this dream that I've been praying about for my entire life. I'm going to be who God's called me to be, and no one's going to scare me away from it. It's taking our frightened, vulnerable, scared-to-death self and simply saying, okay, God, here I am. That's what David Rinsberger did as he worked with his wife's cancer. And he didn't overcome his fear, but he faced it. And here's how he describes his approach. He said the first thing to do was simply to persist in prayer. At one point, as I sat and sought to be aware of God's presence, I got this odd image. It was the odd image of the worried, frightened part of me being like a yappy little dog. And silly as it may seem, I brought the dog to Jesus. He calmed it down tremendously. That's really the only way I can put it, bringing my barking little fearful self to him. I was able to put my barking little fearful self in his arms, so to speak, and I let God's immense and loving presence soothe it. In other words, all I could do and all I had to do was to be a frightened, anxious one in the presence of God. If I sought the divine presence, which was what I most needed to seek, I could not be any other sort of person than the kind I really was right then. Worried, distraught, afraid. There was absolutely no need to rid myself of my anxieties before I could come to God. I did not have to find some pure state of prayer within myself and only in that condition seek God's presence. No, I could come before God exactly as I was. Vulnerable, fearful, lonely, afraid. Fill in the blank. Let's bring it to God. That's holy fear. It takes the sudden fear, the persistent fear, and transform. And so now I invite us to do it. One of the things we've been doing during this season of Lent is actually participating in spiritual practice right here in the middle of the worship service. So go ahead and identify a fear in your life. It may be a sudden fear. You may have experienced something today or maybe even at this moment that's, that's like a sudden fear to you. 
If that's it, go ahead and identify it. Most likely for many of us, it's that persistent nagging fear. So if you can, kind of identify the source of that. If not, just get in touch with the feeling. And then take a moment, get comfortable, close your eyes. And I'd like to invite us into this prayer. It's by Jan Levanzant. It's a prayer of holy fear. Dear Holy Spirit, in this moment I cannot move. I do not know what to do. So please move through me, taking me in the direction that will serve your will for me. Fill my mind with thoughts that will lead me in that direction. Shut my mouth. If I have to speak, speak through me. Shut my eyes. If I need to see anything, show me where to look. Close my ears. If there is something I must hear, please whisper it into my heart in a way that I can understand. If I stop, gently push me beyond fear and doubt. I am trusting you so that I may take the most appropriate actions for my highest and greatest good. Thank you. And so it is. Amen.